This is Eleanor Kennedy, Assistant Managing Editor at Columbus Business First. You're listening to Crisis Management, our podcast about the ways Central Ohio business leaders are navigating the coronavirus pandemic. Today's guest is Joanna Pinkerton, CEO of CODA. The transit service finds itself in a challenging budgetary position thanks to the pandemic's impact, as the sales tax that makes up the bulk of its income is expected to take a severe hit. Listen on to hear what Pinkerton has to say about that expected shortfall, and for more on how the organization has responded when its own team members have tested positive. I think I'm going to start out by taking us back in time. Um, if you okay. can recall, the, the moment that you first realized that this is serious, essentially, um, and, and that there would be a major impact from that, what went through your mind and, and what was that moment? When did you think, oh man, we're going to have to make a lot of adjustments here? Sure. Well, that's a probably the one question that all of us can answer differently. I remember December, January, February, us just watching what was going on around the globe. But I remember specifically March 3rd here in Ohio. Um, at that time, the mayor and the governor were b- very proactively talking about the Schwarzenegger uh-huh. festival that was about to start in central Ohio and you know, the appropriateness of it. And and they were dealing with the decisions that, you know, we all ended up dealing with on a daily basis. But that was really the first time. So I convened my leadership team. And I remember we were at, we weren't even in our building. We were over at the Smart Columbus Experience Center for a different meeting. And we all got in the room and began to discuss the implications of going into emergency operations. As you can imagine, nobody had a coronavirus pandemic plan laying on a shelf, Um, but our organization in particular, because of our public nature and because of some federal statutes and rules and our participation in statewide and county emergency operations, we do have um, emergency operating plans. Uh We're in part of the EEOC. So the people who have been involved in those type of scenario planning were really the leaders on the team that began to step up and say, okay, don't know what it you know, don't know what the landscape looks like, but here's how we're already prepared internally. So we begin to activate that, those types of protocol. And I've noticed, you know, as this has continued, it seems like we've gotten kind of a steady churn of news out of CODA of di- kind of different steps that you've taken, mm-hmm. you know, changing things about. So that all was coming from those plans that you already sort of had in place? When I wish it was that simple. Um, <laughs> the plans we had in place are really of how to react once certain things happen. Uh, the challenge being that in this particular pandemic, so may, let's talk about maybe a flu pandemic or let's say there was um, a major crisis where um, an infrastructure, you know, something had blown up or something. We know how to reroute, redirect around those type of things. Those are plans. Uh-huh. The uniqueness about the COVID crisis, like everyone else is doing at two o'clock, you watch uh, Governor DeWine uh, and thankfully, we have a great working relationship with his administration, my government affairs team, talking to his cabinet and administrators daily, nightly, around the clock. As we would understand what the next steps would be, you'll notice that I think you called it a constant churn out of CODA. We were making sure that we were aligning ourselves with what our elected leadership, uh, who was relying on you know, medical professionals, was saying, this is what's appropriate 
in order to prevent and protect. So um, our team would, within 24 hours, usually um, adapt our practices. So for context, we do uh, what are called service changes three times a year. And that's where we adapt to maybe school being out, seasonal employment. We've done eight service changes in nine weeks. I remember that first one, the team um, worked around the clock. Nobody you know, worked straight through Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and designed the first service change in less than four days. Oh, wow. And that's normally a 120-day process. Set the scene, what level of service are we at right now? So right now, we consider this the most basic essential service. It is roughly half of the normal service we would provide on um, like a prime busy day. And we're, we're talking now the day after the governor bailed our, our reopening plan and looking mm-hmm. at in a week or so, technically a lot of people being able to go back to their office jobs. So are you, what, what is your, what is CODA's reopening plan look like? Are you going to ramp up service next week or how are you figuring that out? That's not the intention. When we looked through all of the different service changes, the last eight service changes, I think something that's hard for people to see behind the scenes is that you're doing a lot of predictive planning. Mm-hmm. Um, we're collecting a lot of intel, not only from the government, uh, you know, the administration and um, health officials. We're communicating with businesses. We have spoken with more than 350 businesses that represent more than 55,000 employees in just the past three weeks to find out what their plans are, even though the stay-at-home order might be lifted, even though businesses are allowed to start opening. So there's a lot of intel that we're using right now. The reality is um, this phased approach, this very conservative approach our governor's taking, which we truly appreciate and support, we're, we're all expecting that there's gonna be long-term ramifications, right? That just because we're beginning to reopen doesn't mean the virus went away. And so our phased service that we launched yesterday is a balance. Uh, if you think about our operators, our frontline employees who are some of the most susceptible, um, and they've been exposed out in the public for the entire nine weeks, uh, we really needed to balance their needs. They are spending an incredible amount of time away from home. So this new phase service allows them to be home three days a week or four days a week. So we've essentially reduced their workload temporarily uh, to give them time to recuperate. And we're also making sure that access to food, grocers, logistics, distribution, hospitals, essential is still preserved. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do know that as things come back online, we'll take that type of data and we will be able to launch dynamic service. That's something that hasn't been done before. Um, We're one of the few transit agencies in the nation who has chosen to limit the number of people who can be on the transit system. Mm -hmm. So our vehicles can handle about 45 people. If it's standing room only, we are only allowing 20. That way people can be spread out um, and socially distanced from each other on the vehicle. Challenges, sometimes your vehicle's full. If you have to pass a customer up because the vehicle's full, we have dynamic service where another vehicle uh, comes along within three to four minutes and picks up people who got passed up. So we, we're pretty um, well prepared to feed back in dynamic service if we see an increase. But I think that it's going to be a minute before everybody just comes right back out and starts yes. moving around the community. I, I know myself personally, uh, I won't let my kids go out just because they're allowed to. Mm-hmm. And they're still on stay-at-home orders from mom. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's, you know, and the governor talked about this, if you have the ability to not go out, you 
rather that you not. Um, I think that's a, uh, and that's a first challenging. Well, you alluded to this, obviously there was some reporting over the weekend about some job reductions at CODA. So can you talk through sort of what you've done in terms of layoffs, furloughs, hour cuts, and sort of how those decisions were made? Sure. Um, well, it's a priority of mine to protect, protect our frontline employees. Uh, no union employees, none of our operators, none of our vehicle maintenance or facilities maintenance uh, were laid off. You know, as a CEO of any organization, whether you run a transit agency, a construction company, a restaurant, you're looking at uh, what it's going to take to run your business. Mm-hmm. Um, and unlike a lot of businesses who can just trim back and have immediate cost savings, protecting their capital and all of those things you, you do that are considered good business decisions, I have to weigh a real social responsibility with our finances. Mm-hmm. Um, we know our revenues are declining because of us not collecting fares. I think it's about 87% of our uh, revenue comes from sales tax. We know people are not shopping. And we know, or at least we have some conservative estimates of how much less money uh, we might collect this year. The reality is the community still needs us. So how do you continue operating a business uh, knowing you won't have as much money to do it? So it's never uh, an easy decision, but we did a holistic evaluation of the entire administrative team at CODA, and we did a restructuring. I eliminated 17% of the jobs um, and their eliminations. You know, the, we have actually been restructured mm-hmm. and those jobs won't be coming back. I really had to weigh leaning the organization up to a place where I know, you know every, every dollar counts to keep us rolling mm-hmm. as long as possible. Is that something you've had to do before in your career? Obviously, you know, I assume not to that scale, but is, where was that the first time you really faced a, a, a layoff conversation and decision? Uh, not the first time. Uh, regrettably, you know, in leadership, you're always evaluating those type of things. I've had to do that twice before in my career. But I'll tell you, this time was, this time was personal. It was really hard. What, I mean? It, it felt different. Uh-huh. You know, when you are when you are making those type of hard decisions based on market demand, that's one thing, but market demand induced by a pandemic where people are fearful, where one in five people have lost their jobs, where you know that there's an uncertain market ahead. It, it was, um, it was brutal. Yeah. How did you approach that conversation with the people who were affected and with the rest of your team who wasn't? Um, so we looked at, um, what we need to preserve to operate. We also looked at what we need to preserve to continue building our foundation. We have some really important strategic initiatives underway that are gonna help us improve the way we deliver mobility to central Ohioans. We deferred more than $20 million in capital first. Uh, you know, trying, we, we're, we're a people first organization at CODA. So we, we delayed capital. And then everyone just really identified where we could absorb job responsibilities and then what we would be willing to tolerate as far as what is not going to get done. Mm-hmm. Um, each of the chiefs had conversations within their teams. And then as we sat every individual down and, and explained to them what was going on, um, provided severance, provided healthcare insurance to help them as, as much as possible with their transition. Shifting a little bit, but related, can you talk a little bit more about the, the impact on the bottom line and on the budget going forward? What I know, you know, there've been a lot of smart mobility initiatives that CODA was pursuing a lot of those mm-hmm. projects. What is going to continue? And are, and are there some things that you're going to have to press pause on because you don't have the, you're not going to have the revenue? Sure. 
um, really important that we not let revenue only drive the um, decisions because I think all of us are going to be facing a new economic landscape and I'm confident that there's new partnerships and uh, that we can establish out there. And there's some things that we've been doing, like you mentioned, some of our um, strategic and um, kind of new smart mobility tactics. So microtransit that launched in Grove City last summer will actually expand in June. Microtransit, the Coda Plus service in Westerville that was intended to launch in April will still launch, but not until August. When I mentioned the dynamic service where we send vehicles to pick people up if the transit system is full, we were only able to do that because of the lessons we had learned mm-hmm. from our new smart mobility and our microtransit initiatives. So we intend to keep dynamic service. So in May, uh, we intend to launch more on-demand uh, microtransit service in neighborhoods where we've had to cut mm-hmm. um, fixed route service because there wasn't a demand or there wasn't a need. And we know there may not have been a need at large volume, large scale, but just like a restaurant had to figure out, okay, I'm not going to serve as many meals, but how can I serve the meal if you buy it online and you pick it up or I deliver it to you? Uh, we're looking at, okay, if there's not a demand for transit in that neighborhood at a high volume right now, how do we get um, small scale transit deployed? So evaluate um, one neighborhood that we might launch as early as May. We had already had seven other neighborhoods under evaluation that we're we were planning to launch this fall. I expect we'll move forward with those as well. Um, so a lot of good things to come, um, but it's really about evaluating what resources we have and, and who has the greatest need. We'll be talking a lot to employers, nonprofits, and community leaders, neighborhood leaders about people's comfort level mm-hmm. once they decide to start moving about again. Can you um, backtrack just a little bit and explain kind of what microtransit looks like and and why that is valuable and something you want to pursue. Sure, Um, especially in the Midwest uh, where we don't have really dense, high density corridors and we're kind of sprawled out everywhere. You may not have enough demand to warrant high capacity mass transit all the time. Mm -hmm. So microtransit is usually smaller vehicles. Our microtransit fleet holds up to eight people per vehicle, is fully ADA accessible and can be hailed with an app. So it can be on demand. And currently the model is if you use it to travel to a transit station, it's no charge. Or um, of course, everything is no charge right now, but um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, point of order there. But um, it also served as point to point. So if you did not need a larger transit trip, it was, um, I think it's a $3 fee in Grove City for point to point, flat fee. Well, and that you mentioning that is one thing when we were talking earlier about about the different phases of service. Can you talk about that everything being no charge? Sort of why was that sure. in, in this study? That was the very first thing we did. Uh-huh. Um, so when it was unclear, when health professionals were not able to tell us how it spread or you know the infection rate, number one priority was protect customers and protect our employees. If you ride transit, you know that as you board, you walk right by the operator. You come within um, a foot or two of that operator. So we immediately, the team's like, well, why don't we just have everybody board through the back door mm-hmm. and um, kind of put up a distancing barrier where someone cannot come within six feet of the operator. Um, well, the challenge is all of your equipment for people to pay is on the front. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it was a pretty easy answer. Um, we knew it was the right thing to do. Well, and then another thing that, 
your organization has had to deal with is, is obviously you've been transparent when you have had drivers firmed with cases. Is that something that you've been mandated to do, something that you decided was the right thing to do? And, and how did you approach your communication with the public about that kind of stuff? It is not mandated that we report our positive tests. Um, I very much believe in transparency um, and servant leadership. This is a really uncertain and fearful time. A lot of rumor, a lot of innuendo, a lot of news. So um, I, don't, I don't see the point in trying to hide things. Um, the reality is when someone uh, tests positive and falls ill, we all have a responsibility. I think employers, employees, people in the public to do what we can to support that person. And um, there's tracing, that um, mm -hmm. protocol that goes into place. So we, we chose from the very onset to let our employees know, let the public know, and then immediately a protocol, where did that person walk? Who did they talk to? What did they touch? Deep sanitation of any place they came in contact with in the last 14 days, asking people who came in contact with them to quarantine. You know, I think employers uh, such as us, ourselves, have a real great opportunity um, to kind of show other people how to do it mm -hmm. because it may impact you at home. You know, like this may happen to you where in your home, you find out that someone else um, who you were friends with when you went to the store, went and did something socially came in contact. So then you're going to have to establish your own protocol. So it just, I guess I can't imagine doing it any other way. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had three positive tests two our operators, one's a supervisor and they're all doing really well. That's good. Glad to yeah. hear it. Yeah, I'm really, really um, grateful for that. What, uh, what keeps you up at night about this? What's kind of your worst case scenario or that you're you know, concerned about as we try and figure this all out? <laughs> There's just a lot of things keeping me yeah. up. <laughs> I've started oh. listening to podcasts as I fall asleep because it's the only way my mind is not just like thinking about yeah. all of this. So. Um, you know, the, what keeps me up or what really concerns me is the uncertainty. Yeah. So I have an incredible team here at CODA. Um, they have tackled the operational emergencies as well as you would expect, even better. I mean, they've just excelled at it. When you know what your market is doing and what normal social behavior and civic life is like, it's, it's just a problem statement, right? And you, you address it. And um, I think the uncertainty is shifting us into scenario planning. So um, taking your business model and creating phases where it adapts to whatever's next. You know, if there's another peak, you know, what if it takes a year or two for a vaccine? What if it takes six months to a year uh, to test people? You know, addressing that uncertainty and knowing that you have to support your team and support your people and, and also take care of the community at the same time. Like, how do you do all that planning and strategy while you actually maintain ops? Yeah, that's a lot. And I, I think that that's, um, that's probably the fact that those two kind of polarizing, well, they're kind of not polarizing so much as they're yin and yang, mm -hmm. like how to get them to fit together. And nobody's ever done this before. So that it's just, it's hard to turn that off. Like you said, I actually went and bought a fan last night um, <laughs> <laughs> um, just because I needed some kind of like white noise to help me go to sleep. Well, I think that you're so right about the uncertainty. Because I think just personally, a month or so ago, or a little six weeks ago, I was saying, well, you know, it's, it's hard right now because there's so much unknown, but in a month, you know, we'll either be Italy or we won't, and then we'll know. But the thing is like, thank God we're not Italy, but that also means we don't know for longer, you know, like now we're going to, as Duane has talked about, we're kind of, 
you know, opening it a little bit and going to see what happens. And, and like you said, there's no roadmap. So there's no way to really know what's going to work and what's going to be problematic and how people are going to react. And there's a lot of physical energy that goes into work, right? I think we all are used to that. There's a lot of um, intellectual capacity and emotional energy that goes into work. Uh, what I'm finding right now um, in a time of crisis management is you have to be really careful about people's emotional um, intelligence uh, because we're all pretty fatigued, you know, mm -hmm. the uncertainty, the daily changes. And so the virus is going to do whatever it does. And then we're going to have policies in place and we're going to react to those because that's all you can do. The social and economic fabric is what's more intriguing to me because people will behave differently. Yeah. So transportation has largely been kind of the same for about a hundred years. In this <laughs> and we can tweak it here and tweak it there, come out with new services. Um, but will people be willing to share rides again? Will people feel comfortable going to the movie theater? Will mm -hmm. people um, work from home? So there's that uncertain period of figuring out what uh, people's behaviors look like um, that will really impact uh, the type of service we need to deliver in our community. Now that, that kind of long-term looking out doesn't worry me one bit. I know we'll figure it out. But what our community needs in the real short term is so important with um, almost one in five being out of work. The, the social net that really holds people together right now is going to be our top priority. What gives you hope amid this? <laughs> is, or is there anything or is there just too much uncertainty to it? Well, no, I, I, there is absolutely is hope. Um, I sent a, a note out to my team the other day. Uh, I have a lot of quotes from Eleanor Roosevelt that kind of bounce around in my head. I really admire a lot of the work she did to change the social construct uh, for women and minorities, you know, almost 100 years ago. And she said during World War II, you must do the thing you think you cannot do. And I have hope. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind that my team can pull this off. I think as a community, we, I see people pulling together in ways that before it was already being done, but it was more at a surface level. And now there's just, you know, there's, there's a burning platform. And people are really incentivized to do the right thing. And from what I can tell, especially my friends who um, <laughs> have had the blessing of staying home, they want to know how they can help. Well, I'll say um, thank you for, for talking us through this sure. experience, Joanna.